Welcome to everybody joining us online as well, to the Swathwood family on the west side, Davis family in Brownsburg, Boyer family in Zionsville, and then all the rest of you outside the central Indiana area. I was just kind of scrolling through the chat to see who was all joining us. Welcome. So glad that you're a part. And thank you for coming back. For those of you who are physically in the room, we had 260 people come physically last Sunday together. Isn't that good? And you came back, a good portion of you, and some other new faces, so we're glad you're here. And those of you joining us online in the central Indiana area, when you're ready, uh, this place is glad to host you and serve you. We've been trying to work hard at doing it in a smart and life-giving way, nice and socially distant and mask and all that. We just think there's something powerful that happens when God's people get together. And you remember last Sunday, I asked you to especially be praying for a family. They're with us today, Jay and Tina Venar. Jay and Tina, can you just wave over here? I know they don't want this attention, but I, I think people would want to know. We've been praying for you all week long. Last Sunday, we did uh, Jay's 37-year-old son's memorial service. So it's been a really difficult time in the Venard household. So if you could just continue to lift them up, Jay and Tina, thank you for being in the Lord's house today. This is the place we want you to know. We love you. We're here. We're family. And we're in your corner, and we're going to walk it out together. And so on your way out today, maybe you could just uh, say a word of encouragement to Jay and Tina. I think it would mean a lot to them, but we're, th we're thinking of you. So, all right, if you have a Bible near you, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Pull out your phones. Like uh, they said, you get the QR code in front of you on the chair in front of you. Online hosts can direct you. Message notes are available there. And we started a series last week called We. And you remember last week we talked about we're God's people who are desperately dependent upon God's presence and power. That's who we are as a people. We're desperately dependent upon God's presence and power. And this morning, I want to build on that and say we are God's people who are wholeheartedly committed to formation in the way of Jesus. Formation in the way of Jesus. And it reminded me of a story several years ago when our kids were at Stonegate Elementary. There was a third grade kind of shout out. There was a request from the third grade teachers because they were going to have like a staff development day. So the third grade teachers asked if any of the parents could come in and like substitute teach in the class for like a couple of hours, hold the fort down while they all go and do their little staff development. And I thought, that sounds like a really fun thing for a dad to do. So I signed up. And I was like a volunteer teacher at Stonegate for the day, checked in at the front desk. Now this is back, back when you could go visit schools and things like that. And you actually got to have guests around. So students, our prayers are with you. Teachers, our prayers are with you as you head into whatever this school year is going to look like. But it was a normal day, checking at the front desk. I go up to the third grade class. I'll leave the teacher unnamed. <laughs> but I opened up the door, and it was like a scene from Stranger Things. Which, by the way, who's excited about season four? Stranger Things next month. Okay, I digress. So, Stranger Things. And it was just, I walked in, oh my goodness, I mean, it was just chaos everywhere. And I found her way to the clipboard that was on her desk, and it had like this set of instructions, like, here's what your couple of hours is going to look like. Like, you're supposed to have some learning, you know, school, learning, knowledge. This is what you're supposed to do. And so, I kind of, just as I get the clipboard, I look up, and I see this young man named Kyle 
We'll call him Karate Kyle, okay? So I see this young man named Kyle, and he's turning as I'm making eye contact, and he gives a full-on karate kick right into the belly of another student, like right there in the middle. And then the student falls back into like a bookshelf and kind of slices their ankle on a bookshelf, and there's blood, and there's crying, and there's… I haven't been in the room for five minutes. So the one with blood had to go to the nurse's station, and I turned to the class. I said, class… What do you do in situations like this normally? Like, is there a protocol of punishment in this class at all? And this one, we'll call her, let's call her Ruthie, rule follower Ruthie. She just, you know, Ruthie went, I said, yes. She walked me. She said, follow me. She walked me over. Whole bulletin board, all the students' names on the bulletin board. And there's a green, yellow, and red card by each student's name. And rule follower Ruthie said, Mr. Simpson, when something like that happens in this room, you pull a card. I said, really? And she said, Mr. Simpson, that thing that Kyle just did, he should lose his green card and his yellow card. So I, right there in front of the whole class, I went, huh, huh. I looked up at Kyle, and I'm like, Kyle, you got one card left. I had no idea, like, what, I have no idea what happens when you pull the last card, but stay with me. It seemed to calm them down a moment. Rule follower Ruthie's board, you know, so like that. I said, oh, great, I got to back to the clipboard. We're going to learn some things, right? We're going to learn, go through the… I just started to get into, okay, class we're going to do. And one of the kids, his name was Enron. Enron raised his hand. It's snack time. I said, snack time? What does snack time look like in this class? As soon as I said that, the entire class got up out of their desk and went to their little lockers in the back, and Enron grabs his backpack. He's like right back by his locker. He grabs it. He stands up on top of his like chair on his desk. He's got his backpack. He opens it up. He goes, my mom went to Costco last night, and she bought a Costco-sized box of Pop-Tarts. Look at this thing, class. And so he says, it's Pop-Tarts for everybody. And everybody's like, ah! and he just starts throwing and these like things of Pop-Tarts all around the room, and there's just Pop-Tart resin everywhere. This is outstanding. This is just going so well. And so we're 20 minutes into this deal with snack going on. I finally make my way back to the clipboard. I'm like, are we going to learn anything in this class by then? So you know where this is probably headed next. So I, I get to the clipboard. I finally get their attention back, and then another small hand goes up. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this? What do they need to do? We need to go to the bathroom. Of course you do, because you just ate a Costco-sized box of Pop-Tarts. So I knew it wasn't going to be good enough for one of them to go. It was kind of in mass. I didn't know if that was the right thing to do. So we had like a whole third grade class, go to the bathroom and come back. Well, in the meantime, during all of this, Karate Kyle kind of went back to his antics again. And so he lost his red card. And so I turned to the class, specifically rule follower Ruthie, I said, what do you do when someone loses their red card? And she had this like deadpan look on her face. She said, Mr. Simpson, we've never had anyone lose their red card. This is really bad. <laughs> so I think, here's what I suspect. I think some people experience following Jesus like substitute teaching a third grade class. The expectations are set. The plan's in place, right? The details are kind of outlined. But the actual experience 
is just quite a bit different than you ever envisioned. And the New Testament has a word to describe this, and it's a word we're going to talk about for a few minutes. It's in Ephesians 4, chapter 1, and it's the word axios. Say axios with me. Axios, A-X-I-O-S. And here's what Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life, circle the word worthy, that's axios, worthy of the calling you have received. The word axios means to balance the scales. Think back to your old lady high school chemistry class, those old school chemistry, those chemistry scales. And axios means that you live in such a way that your living and your calling are balanced out. Live worthy, live in balance, live in step with. And the book of Ephesians, the whole book is hinged on this one word. Because Ephesians 1 to 3 outlines your calling. It says, this is who you are in Christ. I put a little summary in your notes that in Ephesians 1, you're chosen to be holy and blameless. You're adopted. You're given redemption. You're lavished in grace. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 2, you're made alive in Christ. You're saved by grace. You're appointed to good works. You're given access to the Father. No longer a foreigner and an alien. You're members of God's household, a dwelling in which God lives. And then Ephesians 3 says you're able to approach God with freedom and confidence, rooted and established in love, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. For three chapters, Paul just goes off on who you are in Christ, your identity and your calling. This is who you are. And then the letter turns, Ephesians 4.1, in light of who you are, chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, now live accordingly. Live in light of who you already are. Become in your character, in your everyday choices and actions. Become in character who you already are in identity. That's a summary of the book of Ephesians. First three chapters, this is who you're all. This is your identity. This is your calling. Last three chapters, live accordingly. And Paul uses this word, then live in a way that your axios, that your living and your calling are, are balanced out. They're in step. They're in a line with each other. And the term that I want us to get familiar with in this is Paul's leading us into a language of, it's called spiritual formation. Say that with me. Say spiritual formation. What it, I put in your notes like the definition of spiritual formation. Stay with me here for a second, and then we'll draw it back together. It's the process by which a human spirit, heart, or will is given a definite form or character. That's what spiritual formation is. Now hear me. Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it's a human thing. Every single person who has breath of life in their lungs is going through a process of spiritual formation. Everybody's being formed and shaped by the cumulative effect of their experiences and relationships and influences in their lives. Everyone is becoming a certain kind of a person. That's not a Christian thing, that's a human thing. You're all being formed. So the question is this. The question isn't whether you're being formed. The question is, what kind? What kind? And so the proper term for the New Testament introduction, Ephesians 4.1, of living axios is Christian spiritual formation. It's this. As God's people, we're committed through the power of the Holy Spirit to have our heart, our character, our will 
to be formed and shaped in the way of Jesus. That's Christian spiritual formation. If you've been around church circles at all, some places call it discipleship, spiritual growth. This is the process that begins the moment you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. What's God up to in that? He's up to this. He's going to spend the rest of your days in this life forming and shaping and molding and working on your character to live worthy of your calling, that your practical everyday living is in step with your identity, that you become who you already are. That's what God's going to be up to. He's working that. He's forming that. He's shaping that. He's developing that. Because at the end of your one and only life, here's the offering you're going to present to the Lord. You're going to present the kind of person you have become. That's your offering to the Lord. Who have you become? And so it's a big deal for us around here as a church to pay attention to this. So we as God's people, we're desperately dependent upon His presence and power. And we as God's people around here, we're going to just kind of be relentlessly preoccupied with this spiritual formation in the way of Jesus. Who are you becoming? We can't lose sight of that. Parents, I would argue this is top of the stack for parenting. More important than whether we get this academic year figured out. More important than their athletic development or their artistic development, as important as all those things are. I would argue the single most important parenting kind of offensive energy burst we have to give is the formation of our kids' heart and character in the way of Jesus. That's it's just so critical in all the different ways. At the end of the mess, I'll just give real practical things about what we could do to, to keep that front and center. But especially in the month of August, when all the other priorities are pressing upon family units today, and in the craziness of 2020, all the things are going to tug for our time and attention. Parents, we can't lose sight of this, raising up the next generation to live axios to live worthy of their calling, to help them understand who they are and help them to live in light of who they are, to help them become in character who they already are in identity. Because, if you haven't figured it out yet, memoed everywhere, this is really hard. This is really hard. Really hard to do in parenting others. Really hard to do with yourself, like leading yourself in this. It's not a passive entity like our heart. We're involved in this because it's our heart, our will, our character that's being formed. It's not passive. We can't do it on our own. We need God's help. We need the power of the Spirit to come, but we're a part of it. And the longer you're around church circles and religious circles, hear this, the easier for this thing to get derailed. Have you noticed this? Like sometimes those who are long-term religion folks they're living it, their scales get all out of whack. Have you noticed this? Sometimes what happens is you can just get so focused on like learning information. You can get so information-based that your information and your formation, they don't get balanced. You just, you got a chapter and verse, you got an answer for everything, but your living has been fractured from your calling. This is how someone can sit in church for decades, listen to hundreds and hundreds of sermons, go to dozens of Bible studies, have a big old thick chain reference Bible and have all kinds of highlighters and have all these answers to everything. 
but still remain basically the same kind of cynical, cold, judgmental, angry person they've always been. He said, what's happened there? It's a breakdown in axios. That somewhere along the way, they've decided to stockpile a bunch of information and answers, and they've lost sight of what happens when you're stockpiled with answers and you're bankrupt on Christ-like character. The scales get all out of whack. And Jesus ran into this all the time in the New Testament. When you're reading through the New Testament, I put some references in your notes. We won't read them this morning. Matthew 23, Jesus bumps into this all the time. He has some of his sternest words for those who've been around the church the longest. They were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were the ones who were supposed to have all the right answers. And answers are important. Information's important, but not when it's fractured from living. And that's what was going on in Matthew 23. And he is hard on those guys. He calls them whitewashed tombs. It's Jesus. He calls them blind guides. He tells them like they're a dirty cup where like the inside is this nasty, but the outside's all shiny. That's Jesus. And he was on them because there was this reality that was going on, that they had lost sight. There's this axios was all out of balance. They had all the answers. They had a chapter and verse for everything. They were like teaching the Bible class, completely missing the fact that all the students think the Bible teacher needs counseling. That's that. Where all the students get together and go, yeah, that professor, man, he needs to go to counseling. But the professor, he's got, you know, he knows his Greek, his Hebrew, he's got a chapter and verse for everything. It's Pharisees. It's teachers of the law. It's information completely fractured and separated from living. And the New Testament word for this is called hypocrisy. And I put it in your notes, and it means pretending. It's the word for stage actors. It's the words for someone who presents a reality that's separate from who they really are. They present a persona distant from the true person. It's a hypocrite. Jesus is really upset with that. And some of you listening, some of you in the room, you... You know what it's like to be on the receiving end of some really hurtful hypocrisy. Man, hypocrisy is so damaging. Some of you, you've walked through that. You've placed your trust and confidence in a, maybe as a pastor, a spiritual leader, a mentor, a family member, somebody, or you placed your, you just really thought this person was the real deal, and then as time goes along, there's just, they had the veneer of spiritual leadership. They had the veneer of Jesus-like stuff, but underneath they were a whitewashed tomb. They were this cup that was just presenting shiny, but on the inside was a mess. It was axios, all out of balance, and Jesus knows how damaging that is, how painful that is. And some of you still working through, kind of recovering from that, and you understand why Jesus was hardest on the spiritual leaders because they were the ones who were supposed to be helping people get the scales right instead of modeling what is out of balance. I love what Augustine said. I put this quote in your notes. Augustine said it this way. He said, we must empty ourselves of all that fills us so that we may be filled with what we are empty of. I think someone's at church today to hear that quote, by the way. Somebody's been wrestling with this emptying and filling and you need to hear today that there's some stuff that needs to be poured out of the heart because God wants to put some new stuff in there. You can't do it until some stuff's emptied. 
And that's what's going on here with living axios. And so I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of this formation in the way of Jesus. So practically, I just put some things in your notes like, how do we keep this on the front burner for us? I think we look at it, I put a grid, I just call it practices, experiences, and relationships. Just ask this question, what are the practices, experiences, and relationships in my life that help me stay centered in God and paying attention to becoming the kind of person He's called and created me to become? The answer to that question helps you keep your formation in alignment with the way of Jesus. And so, like practices like reading the Bible and praying and serving and all that, and experiences like camps and retreats and coming to church and prayer gatherings and all those things, and then relationships like life groups and mentoring relationships and all those things like friendships and family. It's all the cumulative effect of practices, experiences, and relationships. So your assignment for this week would be do some work of just examination. Spend some time this week, put those three words down on a piece of paper, and ask yourself the question, in the practices, experiences, and relationship, and whatever you describe there, what's occupying your time, what's getting your thoughts, what's getting your energies in those three categories, see if it's in step with, hey, are these things helping me stay centered in God? Are they helping me pay attention like to the person He's called and created me to become? Because there's a lot at stake with this axios, to live worthy of our calling, to make sure that our practical character, everyday choices is in line with the person He's called and created us to be. Practices, experiences, relationships. Okay, so I think a year or so went by and another email came from Stonegate to my inbox. And it was, you know, I'm on the parent email and they're like, hey, we're doing another like, you know, teacher development day. And we're looking for some parents to come in and like hold down the fort for a couple hours. I remember looking at that email. I was staring at it. And then like in the little PS section, I think I remember there were like all these other areas you could plug into. And one of them said, here are other opportunities for parents to engage. And one of them said, donuts with dads. I said, click. I signed up for donuts with dads not substitute teaching in the third grade class again. I think Jesus would call that wisdom. <laughs> wisdom. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word. Thanks for this opportunity to open it, to examine, to reflect, to just pause and to just re, just kind of center ourselves again and say, what direction am I going here? And if some things are a little off track, we can get them on track right now. Just say, Lord, help me. Maybe there's some things that need to be emptied out of the heart. Maybe there's some choices and decisions that are way out of line, out of bounds. And just right now, just confess those, bring those out and say, Jesus, help me. I want to live worthy of the calling that you've given me. I want to become in character who I already am in identity. Help me with my formation. More of Jesus and more of me year by year that the world might see your life, your light, and your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.